0: Welcome to the sourcing hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and art of procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the sourcing hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today my guest here on the Sourcing Hero Podcast is Julie Lasso. Julie has spent most of her career to this point focused on the partnerships between companies and their suppliers. She has deep experience in retail and with private label products, and can walk the line between negotiating savings and building value-oriented relationships as needed. Hi Julie, thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Kelly, thank you so much for having me. I couldn't be more thrilled to be here.
0: I'm interested to learn more from you today because I have background in both retail and a little tiny bit on the private label side. But before we actually get into the meat of our conversation, I want to give you the opportunity to share a little bit more detail about the background, about your professional journey to this point.
1: Oh, I'd be happy to. Thanks for asking. Well, I am a Minnesota girl, born and raised, and when I graduated from college, I went to work at for a hometown team, Target Stores, and I spent about 17 years there, and it was an amazing experience. I was always in the merchandising, merchandising adjacent spaces, so I did inventory planning, I did buying, but I spent about half of my career in negotiations and sourcing. And a Target sourcing in primarily in the own brand space is all about finding the right partners to bring those amazing own brand products mm-hmm. to life and get them to the shelves, whether those are virtual or physical shelves. And it was it's just an amazing way to start a career. I learned so much working with those supplier partners, with Target's global partners and offices throughout the, uh, the world. And I just couldn't love it anymore, to be honest. And when I made the choice to begin my next career chapter outside of Target, because really, no one retires from corporate retail anymore at the age of (laughs) 55, uh, I always knew I'd have a next chapter. And I really wanted to continue to work in that space of building strong retailer and supplier partners. And today, that's exactly the work that I do. I launched my own consulting business about five years ago now. And I work with retailers, mostly on the retailer side, I would say, but it's, it's a balance between both retailer and supplier side to help build those really strong partnerships. And so whether that is in the own brand space or the branded space or that commingled space in between, <laughs> that's all about finding the right partners for the retailers. It's about having mm-hmm. the right process to take those partners through when you're onboarding them to your organization or deepening the partnership. Uh, Ultimately, negotiations is often a part of the work that I do, whether that's the retailer or the supplier side, and then really navigating that supply chain through execution.
0: Now, one of the things that I always think is actually very deceptive about the retail space is because most people are retail shoppers in their free Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. They think they sort of understand the space. But what's easy to (laughs) not pick up on is that, first of all, the margins are so razor thin, mm-hmm. that there is really no room for error. So as much as it seems like, oh, it's it's just Target, it's just my grocery store, it's just CVS, right? The mm-hmm. sophistication that goes behind the simplicity that makes these large retail companies and operations work is something that that really you could very easily overlook. Um, and the second one is that there's also inherent complexity today when you are B2C. And you're trying to create a large national brand, right? Because it doesn't take a whole lot to land your company in the headlines for the wrong reason. Uh And it doesn't even have to be something sort of controversial. It could be one percent higher out of stock rates in a very common category of product. So, you know, I'll be I'll be interested to hear from you. I think this is a good place to start. Let's do a quick temperature check. So we've all been through a lot, right? When I think about going to the doctor, they have that sort of rainbow chart, you know, everything from the really (laughs) unhappy face to like the happiest face you've ever seen in your whole life. Mm -hmm. Based upon your experience and the conversations you've been having, where on that continuum is sort of the general state of the typical procurement supplier relationship?
1: I'm just smiling hugely, thinking about the way you frame that question. Because if I have to think of that that smiley face position, <laughs> that that exists in in moments of time, and if you are highly fortunate, that's a moment that gets celebrated between uh, suppliers and their and their their partners. But so often goes overlooked. <laughs> so it's just gone, and then you're on to the next thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think to answer your question from a macro level, we are in a stabilizing place now. I, there's just There's been a lot of ups and downs as we've navigated the COVID response era, where there's some incredibly tense relationships of what can you do? What can't you do? Get me less, get me more, get it faster. What do you mean you're out of business? <laughs> yeah. and, and then over the last year, the shift has really been focusing on those cost of goods, so material changes, cost increases, and no one likes to have those conversations. No one likes to disappoint their partners or ultimately their customers by by raising the cost of goods or ultimately the retails so that you can stay profitable and have a healthy business. Uh, but we're starting to see some of that stabilize. And I, we're recording this in, in December of 2022, and we, we have seen a recession hit. And I'm I'm mildly optimistic that we're we're headed for a more call it more of a stabilizing than a than a crash, as it were. So I, I do think this is a moment where partnerships are are okay, and people are working in those partnerships to help stabilize for what's next, and how do we how do we think about that in a way that that keeps us. Uh, in it uh, keeps us with a certain amount of flexibility built in for what's to come because it, it's, it, there's not uh, there's not too much stable when it comes to retail. It's it's only, no. only a matter of time before the next major change comes.
0: No, absolutely. And I like your focus on what's next because as much as we're all doing the best that we can in the moments we've been handed, we still need to help ourselves sort of rise above and think about what may be next. And it actually seems like this area of procurement supplier partnerships is a key opportunity to do just that. So although most procurement teams are measured based on savings, we all know that procurement can deliver so much more than that. Are true supplier partnerships and good supplier relationships an opportunity to get beyond the cost savings and the cost efficiency and get into some of those more value-oriented areas?
1: Oh I absolutely think that's true. Uh, cost savings might be one of the most directly measurable uh, results of a strong procurement and, and sourcing organization, but that shouldn't be where the list stops. Uh, I would say that or the organizations that I've worked with that are most successful are the ones that really understand the, the broader co- corporate values and initiatives. So in the retail space of which I'm the most familiar, uh, that often goes back to understanding what merchant priorities are. So what are what are the areas of consumer focus? What are the design teams focus? Whether that's a new material or is it uh, something with within your risk partnerships, which is increasingly digging deeper and deeper into uh, ESG concerns. So how are we thinking about where products are made, how they're made, and the quality that they're made to? And the, the sourcing and procurement teams that understand those key measurements of their most focused partners or their nearest partners, and that are able to build the supplier partnerships and the relationships that are able to deliver on those metrics, in addition to finding the best cost or the lowest cost. Those are the ones that ultimately I think are the teams that are able to deliver the most value to the organization, and in turn become then some of the most valued partners within the organization when it comes to bringing amazing products to life.
0: Now given the scope of that opportunity I also wonder if this isn't the right moment for procurement to rethink not only what partnership means but also who we partner with. I mean if I think traditionally and I include myself in this when we think about okay <laughs> who are my most strategic supplier partners mm-hmm. I take all of my spend and I rank it by biggest to smallest and I look to see which suppliers are associated with the largest pockets of spend and I say oh these are my strategic suppliers. But In reality, that's actually probably not a great way to approach it. If we do rethink what partnership means and who our partner should be, what advice would you give us around changing our mindset on that front?
1: Building on the answer I gave just a moment ago is you think about what's most important for your organization or most most important for your customer uh, and think about how you're building a supply matrix, a supply chain matrix that supports those priorities, that's where I would start. So yes, great cost is going to be important. But if your customer is looking to you for the most innovative products, well, that gives you a couple of key priorities then. You're going to want to find partners that have either a great design team or they're quick to market, that they also have a really flexible and speedy supply chain. You're going to think about your supply modes differently as well. So what is quick turn going to look like? How do you manage your inventory controls or concerns, which is something you're hearing a lot about within the retail space as we're in Q4 this year. Conversely, if it's a product that needs to be on the shelf uh, 365 days a year, fully in stock, you are going to change your your measurements and your priorities to make sure you've got those partners that are going to be able to deliver day in and day out. And those partners are ones that you are going to be exceedingly close with when you are sharing forecast accuracy. So when you're partnering with that planning team. To make sure that those partners are carving out the capacity to produce and ship your products on time. I think the other thing that we've also added to our our punch list of priorities coming up through to the last year are what are really key trigger points for us. Mm. So what are the things that we simply cannot do without that we need to have our our fallbacks for? So it might be a really key piece of packaging. It may be a, a key production component. But how do we prioritize those partners that deliver on that very key essential piece, even if it's not our top dollar spend, but it's our, we could call it a priority spend or our essential spend. And those are the partners I would also hold really close to make sure that they are uh, incredibly happy (laughs) with the partnership (laughs) that we're building and ultimately the value that we're building and that we are growing as organizations in a compatible way. If we're looking to grow 10, 15%, double our volume, we want to make sure that that partner can also do the same thing. So those are the conversations that I think are incredibly important that help add a little bit more color to, yeah. to the, the way you frame the question beyond just the, the, the rank top to bottom. Who are those partners that really help us either d- deliver critical pieces of our, of our commitments or deliver on a promise to our, our customers that sets us apart and is really a competitive advantage in most cases?
0: Now, if we think about the nature of all of these different conversations, and we'll assume for a moment that, okay, we've taken all of your advice and we've got some very well-selected, well-functioning strategic supplier partnerships and relationships going on, I wonder uh, how that potentially changes procurement's approach to contract renegotiation. I mean, it it feels a little t- tiny bit like haggling over the price of dinner on a date. You know, if you if you work really hard To build up a relationship with a supplier. Should it or does it increase maybe the discomfort around going back to them at the end of the contract term and saying, okay, partner, best friend, person that's walked this mile with us, what can we do around how you're billing us or the cost of your product or service? Is there a way to navigate that situation that Both allows procurement to satisfy the mandate to be efficient and cost-effective, but doesn't do damage to this relationship that you've invested so much time to build.
1: I absolutely think there is a way to do that. And how I think about that contract conversation, that negotiation, is to more think of it as a spectrum of more of a competitive partnership. Easily replaceable, more widget-based conversations, mm-hmm. and all the way up to a more cooper- cooperative, collaborative conversation where this is a a one and only, and it's not clear that there will be a partner that's going to be able to satisfy our needs in a different way. And then I start to think about what are the tools I have at my disposal. So we've got our our truf- trusty RFP process, which works really, really well when it's it's more of a col- competitive space yeah. and you are swapping widgets when you can be very prescriptive in what you need and when you need it and how much you need, yeah, you, you don't need to dig as deep for value. And so then I think you are able then to deliver on that commitment to the organization to be really efficient and be laser focused on cost as a key value or reliability as a key value. In the more cooperative space, I think you get more creative with the tools that you use and have uh, conversations that are more around, we use the phrase in retail, joint business planning. And it's it, it, it's where you're able to actually have a conversation and think about not only what are your priorities, your interests, but you take some time to think about what are the priorities and the interests of the partners that you are are speaking with. And this conversation can take more time, but that's if you approach it with curiosity, and openness, you're able to really get to a broader value. So you don't do this with everyone, but you prioritize where and how that makes sense. So building on that list that we just spoke about a moment ago, who are those key partners that you simply can't do without? Is there a way you can talk about and set up that conversation differently to be able to, to expand the value that you're offering for, for both partners? And that's how I encourage my, my clients and partners to think about it is you don't need one tool uh, to to satisfy the needs of all of those contracts, really think about the approach based on, on what we need from that contract, what we need yeah. from that partnership, and then size to fit steps from there.
0: Now, one of the best things, I think, from a truly effective supplier partnership is the opportunity for procurement to learn. Um, I'll be the first one to admit, I certainly don't know everything about even the categories <laughs> that I spent a long time managing. And yet, When you think of yourself as an expert or when you've been positioned internally as an expert in something, it can be a little bit of a challenge to keep an open mind to new ideas or unexpected thoughts. What are some ways that procurement can not just remain open to ideas, but to be actively curious when we get into some of these collaborative discussions with supply partners?
1: There's two ways that I think about that. One, from that expertise perspective, I do believe that you need to continue to do your research. So whether that's key commodities, a study of the market, you need to have a perspective on what's going on big picture and start to think about how that is impacting your organization and the partners that you're working with. So have an idea. But my my suggestion would be then to stop short of feeling that you have to come up with the idea or the approach. So stop maybe when you're 80 to 90% there in fully baking that conclusion when the next step for you is to go talk to your suppliers or your partners as a part of that, that contract negotiation, or even if you're building out a new matrix. And the second piece that I would suggest is after you've done some of that research, really think about what are what are the places that you don't have information or that you find yourself making some assumptions? And what are some of the creative questions that you can think about uh, going in that will help you gather information? And these are very rarely yes or no questions. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it gets the, the teams that you're, you're partnering with to think about things in a different way as well. And you start to unlock a lot of different value. Uh, one of my uh, mentors in the negotiation space asked a question that is simply one of my favorites. It's it, depending on the, the partnership or, or the the agreement that you're trying to reach. It's something along the lines of, how do I become your favorite partner? Or how do I get Ooh, that the best good. deal or the best offering, its something something along those lines. And obviously you don't ask this of, of all of your partners, but for yeah. the, the partners that you really want to make sure value you and your business and ultimately are as committed to delivering for your customers as you are, yeah, what are those questions that get them excited and engaged in your business and how you want to show up for them so that when the chips are down and when there's a pandemic and when supply chains are completely yes. thrown up in the air, that the phone call that they are are making to you is how do we get this done? How do we make this happen? And it's not the email saying we've just canceled your product or you'll see it in 18 months. <laughs> that is such a great question. And it's it's interesting
0: because procurement has talked for a long time about wanting to position their company as a customer of choice, right? Mm-hmm. Which we certainly saw either play out or provide evidence that it was not the case over the last couple of years. But actually asking the suppliers because it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about there's so many different ways to negotiate deals, there's different kinds of relationships, there's different kinds of negotiation styles. Uh, But there's also different things that have different levels of value to certain suppliers. And so what we think might position us as a customer of choice, certainly some things like, please pay your suppliers on time. You know, please be (laughs) responsive (laughs) when someone emails you or calls you. Those are just basic kind of table stakes. Please do a good job at work, right? But beyond that, what creates value for that supplier? What creates relationship and partnership for that supplier? might not only vary widely by company, in some cases, it might actually be a surprise to procurement, mightn't it?
1: I think so. And I I think if you approach it with curiosity and you aren't expecting to hear just corporate politeness as an answer, uh, (laughs) and you're open to taking some action on that, oh, it's it's so much fun. I've seen it time and time again in a specific contract negotiation or conversation where it's like, oh, I had no idea that was important to them. Oh, yeah, that's an easy give on our part. And it's it's impressive what it can unlock. So,
0: Julie, as we start to wrap our time, uh, this is sort of the traditional close to every conversation mm-hmm. that we have here on The Sourcing Hero. So this is, this is your moment. You are now being added into the tradition, into the community of The Sourcing Hero family. You get a choice. I'm going to give you two questions, and you can mm-hmm. answer whichever one of these you want. So the first option is... What does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? And the second option is what do you think heroism looks like in a business context?
1: For me, a sourcing hero is the one that has the best crystal ball. No, kidding. Um, For me, a sourcing hero. (laughs) In retail, that feels like a fair thing to ask for. (laughs) Oh, goodness. You can ask for it. I've never seen anyone's crystal ball. Yeah. Uh, But no, I do think, and we've touched on this theme a bit already in our conversation, the idea of a team or an individual who's got a very thoughtful balance in solving the problems of right now and can continue to keep a balance on what's next. And not only what's next for them, but what's next for those really key partners that they're working with to deliver their value to the organization. So whether that's internal partners or external partners, what is going to help those teams show up to be the best version of, of what you need them to be when you're thinking about bringing your solution or your product to life.
0: I think, I think that's fantastic. And obviously we've talked about a lot of the nuances in the retail space today, but I think that's a point of view that extends way beyond retail to all different categories of spend. Um, and so I appreciate you, you sharing your point of view on that. Now for people that have listened in and, like what they heard, or maybe they just want to geek out about retail with you, what would you say is the best way for them to get in touch?
1: Oh, goodness. Well, I highly encourage uh, retail geeking out. That's one of my favorite <laughs> things. So please, please do uh, feel free to reach out. LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find me, both what I've shared and and to connect with me directly. And you'll see my name, I'm sure, in the, the podcast liner notes, but I'm uh, Julie with no E, so J-U-L-I and then Lasso, L-A-S-S-O-W and the only one in LinkedIn. So you can find me there, please feel free to reach out and connect. And then jhl-solutions is the website where I've got a fair amount of information available on retail, supplier partnerships. Uh, I also have a bit of a passion around the circular economy. So if that's something that's of interest as you're building out your supply chain procurement partnerships, um, please do check out information there. And if you wanna chat more, by all means, do reach out. Julie, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Kelly. It's been a treat.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, Sourcing Heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.